As you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15, which we'll finish this morning, for those of you that have walked with the Lord for a, for a while, you've been a believer maybe for a year or two or a good chunk of your life, you've probably figured out that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground, amen? And, and in fact, that a lot of what we experience as believers is a direct result of the fact that we are Christians. We go through so much of what we go through in this life and in this world because of the belief that we have that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus is now going to minister to the disciples a message that probably some of us in this room would have preferred that he skipped. Because he is going to address this very issue with the disciples themselves. And he's going to tell them, look, here's the deal. It's not going to be easy. There are an awful lot of Christians that believe the moment that they came to faith in Christ that all their troubles would be over. That all of a sudden every stone would be removed from every road. And in fact, everywhere you went, there would just be kisses and roses blown at you. Probably most of you have figured out that's not only not true, that maybe even when you gave your life to the Lord, things got worse. You actually started to have some problems you didn't have before. You actually all of a sudden came into circumstances and situations that previously you were actually just like those people who are now giving you a headache. That in fact, some of the things that you have now come to know and understand that God doesn't want for a child of God, when you tell someone else that that's true, they all of a sudden think you are the world's greatest killjoy. Friends that you once had not only don't like you, they go out of their way to slander and destroy you. Jesus said there would be days like this. And so as we turn our attention, we'll pick up in verse 18. Uh, Would you join me and let's pray and ask God to speak to us uh, through this final portion here of John 15. Father, we thank you that you have overcome the world. That in fact there is no temptation but that which is common to man and in it there's a way of escape. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet as we battle in this world, Lord, there are times when we're tempted to maybe even surrender. And God, I pray that if there's someone here today that's thinking about throwing in the towel, they're tired of the fight, God, would you strengthen their feeble hands? Would you give them victory? Lord, would you enable them to stand in these evil days so that we might preach your gospel the world might be saved so that we can go home. Lord, we bless you, we praise you, and ask now, speak to us, please, through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 18, here in John 15, as we finish the chapter, remember the situation here. Final night of Jesus' life, he's wandering through the vineyard, He's about to get to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be arrested. 
This is what he tells his disciples right before he's arrested. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And you're probably thinking, well, I didn't sign up for that. What's all this? Where's the love, man? Aren't you the prince of peace? There are a lot of Christians that wrongly think that because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that he was thinking and speaking and teaching and saying, you'll never have another problem. That wasn't what he was saying. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. You see, here's the negative thing that you can do. If you want all these troubles that you're going through as a believer to go away, just join in with the world. Jesus is basically saying the compromised Christian is the one who has no problem. And so you can really look at this admonition by the Lord Jesus to say, if you're not actually having a little bit of difficulty, if you're not having some issues, if you are not going through some things in this life, specifically because you are a Christian, could it be that the world can't tell that you're a Christian? Could it be that your life is not substantially different because this world's not your home? You as a child of God are a citizen of heaven. And this is not heaven here on earth. We have some heavenly things. There are some wonderful things that God does. There are blessings in our lives. But the glory of the believer is also the glory of heaven and it's what we await this world, we are simply passing through it. Notice what he says. But I chose you out of the world, and therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they would keep yours also. He's saying, look, You can spot who are God's people and who are not God's people by the way they live. By what occupies their time, their talent, and their treasure. And you need to be very concerned when you and the world agree on everything. Because this world is what you have been called out of. And this world has a ton of beliefs, and we'll get to them in a moment, that are antithetical to the life of a believer. Things that the world says you should think this way about this subject, and yet the Bible says exactly the opposite of what the world says you should think. And so if you're actually in tune and engaged with the Lord you're going to have some problems because of that. You're going to experience some conflict because of that. You're going to have people in your life, they're going to hate you because they hated Jesus first. Why? Because he's the truth. He is the, how does this chapter begin? How does chapter 14 begin? I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is putting out a dividing line between sheep and goats. 
between believers and not believers, between people who are destined for heaven and people who are destined for hell. And this world is not your home. This world is not what you are looking forward to. And so Jesus is instructing us. But all these things they will do to you specifically for my namesake. Notice what he says. Look, they're going to do these things to you because you're my kids. Because you love me. Because you stand for the truth. Because you are unwavering in your commitment to the Savior, you are going to be misunderstood, mistreated, maligned. You will be put down, beat up, and accused of all manner of things falsely, Jesus says, for my name's sake. The very thing that he says in the, in the Beatitudes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, look, It's going to be at times difficult to walk in this world because this world's not where you live. You live a heavenly life and you're trying to do it in a world that's against you. Because they do not know him who sent me. Becomes very clear what Jesus is saying. Powerful passage of scripture about our behavior. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. You see, when you talk to your unbelieving friends about the Lord and you talk to them about the word, when you share with them the truth and the light shines on their life, the reason they don't like you is not you. It's because you dared to tell them the truth. And now they're recognizing, maybe I'm wrong. And they begin to rethink those things. And so ultimately, they're hating you because they first hated Jesus. Because you're repeating what he said ought to be the condition of their life. The Bible, for us who believe in Christ Jesus as Lord, is the last word on all things leading to life and godliness. Amen? We believe it's true. Faith, Romans 10, 17 says, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you remove the word of God, if you remove the light of the life, if you remove Jesus and his word, you don't have truth anymore. And so people hate the fact that you believe that God's word is true. That's why they hate. That's the reason that the church is persecuted when you stand for the truth. Now they know that sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also have hated me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, speaking specifically of Jewish unbelievers. They hated me without a cause. Because the Old Testament speaks exactly the same moral law and truth that the New Testament does. Jesus said, I I do not bring you this, I, I haven't come to dismiss the law and the prophets. 
I've come to fulfill it. And in this is all the law and the prophets fulfilled that you would love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength and your neighbor as yourself. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. You see what Jesus is saying is, look, there's one standard and I'm it. Jesus is the standard by which the body of Christ is measured. His word is the truth of that standard. So when someone says, well, I I love Jesus, I just don't know about the Bible, you can't pull the two things apart. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You, You can't love God without loving the word. You can't love the word without loving God. You can't love God without loving Jesus. And now we're going to stick a third party into the mix. Just in case there's someone here who perhaps doesn't believe in the Trinity. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, that would be a specific person. When the helper comes, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside The advocate before the Father comes, whom I shall send. I think that's two people, isn't it? When the helper comes, whom I shall send. You can't send yourself. Whom I shall send to you from the Father. Oops, that's three people. Who is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me. All three persons of the Trinity in one verse. All three spoken of individually, and yet all speaking the same message, God in three persons. All the spirit of truth, all testifying of one another, all involved in the sending process, and all listening to the same message. And you also bear witness Because you have been with me from the beginning. He's saying, guys, you were with me. You saw it happen. You witnessed the miracles. You heard the word. I'm testifying it's true. Family of God, we're on battlefield earth. And I'm not talking about the John Travolta movie from 2000. (laughs) Where he had the dreads. I don't know if you remember that one. It was a hideous movie. Forget I even said it. If I stumbled anyone, I'm sorry. But it is very much like the final battle of Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings. There is a very clear division between good and evil, between right and wrong, between light and dark. There absolutely is a dividing line. And that dividing line is Christ Jesus is Lord. And those who are in Christ and saved are on the side of light and truth. And those who are apart from Christ and not saved are on the side of darkness and lies. Can I tell you, when you say things like that to someone who doesn't yet know the Lord without qualifying the love of God... It's kind of disturbing. People don't like knowing that they're walking in darkness. 
and yet the gospel is an offense. You, you can't, if the gospel's not an offense, it doesn't cause people to understand what they need to understand, which is I'm a sinner and I need a savior. If you make people feel good about their sin, then you have not done your job as a witness for the truth. So when you're sharing with people, you can leave the conviction to the Holy Spirit, but the truth is not negotiable. And the problem that we have in our world is we live in a world that negotiates truth. Jesus said the same thing that we find here in John 15 in Matthew chapter 5 when he was speaking the Sermon on the Mount. He said the same thing when he sent the disciples out, when he commissioned them. He said the same thing when the Pharisees came against him. And he said the same thing in the Olivet Discourse, which is his end times discourse, when he's speaking about things which are still yet future for the most part to the church. So Jesus is reminding us, look, we're going to battle while we're here on earth. And so the question becomes, well, what do you mean? What does that look like today? We could name a ton of things. I just picked out a handful. For those of you that were in grade school in 1962, when Engel versus Vitali was passed and prayer was pulled out of school, I remember distinctly beginning every single day in school with prayer. So we pull God out of school And we say, well, let's replace that with teaching our 12-year-olds how to put condoms on bananas. And that was intended to offend. Because that is the insanity that has now come upon us because the church is unwilling to say, you know, maybe we ought to rethink that. That's probably not something that we need to teach in school. Maybe we could leave that to the parents. But the church is silent. The church says, well, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want anybody to think that we pray in Jesus' name, so let's pull it out of school. As we sit here today, prayer in Jesus' name has been removed from public square, period. I've done multiple invocations for county governments. I have been requested each time to send my prayer in advance, as if you can can the Holy Spirit. And then there's always a note that says, and oh, by the way, do not pray in Jesus' name. Why is that? Because his name is above every name. And his name brings conviction of sin. I don't know about you and the Ten Commandments, but I'm personally not as offended by the Ten Commandments as I am pornography. And furthermore, just to put it into everyone's mind, how many of you have traveled to Washington, D.C.? How many of you have gone to the Supreme Court building? How many of you have bothered to go away from the mall on the back side of the building and look at what's over there? the side that faces the the house building. You ever notice who's right dead in the middle of the Supreme Court building? 
Moses and the Ten Commandments? Do you know what are carved in the doors going into the justice chambers? The Ten Commandments. You know why that is? Because our basic system of justice was built on the Ten Commandments, along with a handful of other documents. But deeply ingrained in American society was the fact that we are a nation under God. It's in the Declaration of Independence. But we want to rewrite history. What we want to do is we want to say flippant statements like, well, you know, the Constitution guarantees the separation of church and state. I pray there's no one in here who actually believes that the separation of church and state is in the Constitution. Because it's not. Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptist Society. And in that letter, he actually agreed with them. And he said, for the purpose of not establishing a state church, so there could be Methodists and Presbyterians and Episcopalians and Anglicans and Catholics and anyone else who wanted to worship God, however they sought to worship God, he said there should be a wall of separation between church and state. It's not in the Constitution. It's in a letter to a Baptist association. He was agreeing with them that government should stay out of the church. He was in no way, shape, or form saying that the church should not vote biblical values. That the church shouldn't elect godly leaders. That we shouldn't be concerned about what our leaders believe. You see, so you're going to fight a battle when you say, you know what, I'm a Christocrat. I believe Jesus Christ is Lord and God's word is an errant and it is my source of my understanding for all things leading to life and godliness. Abortion on demand, same basic thought process. More than 90% of the time, by some accounts, 98% of the time, abortion is birth control. That's what it is. And while I am not condemning a single person, and I want to present the grace of God as the only cure to the pain, the problem is not abortion. The problem is fornication. The problem is we won't tell our children it's not okay that you sleep with one another when you're 12. The problem is we've shifted our morality to the world's morality. And instead of standing for Christ and saying, look, we will not accept this as a way of life, the church has caved in and said, well, you know, everybody does it. The result is 1.5 million children die each year. And I know this stings some of you in here, but it's time the church speak the truth. It's not an abortion problem. It's an immorality problem. We have become an immoral nation that accepts openly exactly what God says he doesn't want us to do. 
And until we change our position on that to God's position, these things will continue. Hypersexualization of our kids. Does it bother anybody in this room that we are injecting our 12-year-olds with a Gardasil vaccine that's for human-transmitted Pamplona virus that only matters if you're sexually active? It's time to get real, church. This has happened because the church won't call sin, sin. Jesus said we need to come out of the world and we need to be different. We need to be at war with these things, not going, well, I I just want to live at peace with it. If you're a child of God, we believe what the word teaches. We do not believe what the world tries to cram down our throats. If you're going to get a new iPhone XS, you can thank Israel for that. It's not made up in Cupertino. It's made in the Silicon Valley of Israel in Netanya. And yet the whole world is like, well, you know, that rotten Israel. They are God's chosen people. The land belongs to God. He gave it to Israel, and those that bless Israel will be blessed of God, and that is our opinion on the matter. These are biblical things. Do you understand why I'm saying this? These are biblical issues. When people say, well, you can't force morality. No, you can't force morality, but you can vote for godly rulers who will instill it in our laws. When Romans 13 says that God's appointed government, guess who gets to appoint the rulers who are in the government? You do. So we need to vote those values which clearly state, I am a believer and I stand for Christ Jesus and his word. But the problem is, is a lot of Christians get their values from society instead of saying, look, this is what God's word says. The homosexual and gay agenda. We, we just passed a milestone. I, I was within one month of being standing in this pulpit and declaring what the Bible plainly declares, which is someone with a sin problem can be set free by the blood of Christ, that being illegal to some degree. We dodged that bullet because of the grace of God. Amen? But society's still trying to say, oh, you know, those haters. Let me be clear. If you're here today and you're struggling with homosexual attraction, God's grace is sufficient for you. Amen? That's what I believe. That's what his word says. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. And Christ died for you and wants to set you free. But you see, we we say, well, we need to change your opinion on this thing. God now accepts it. No, he does not. That is a lie. And when you tell someone that God is okay with that, you are setting them up for perhaps eternal damnation. We have to have God's opinion on this issue. We cannot have the world's opinion. And so for us as the church, we need to be willing to 
battle. Go to war. Say, look, I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep saying what the Bible says until I go home to be with Jesus because this world's not my home. And the same is true for drugs and alcohol, the opioid epidemic. Why is that? Because we have made these things so easily accessible that our kids are getting hooked on them. We, we have to stand. And again, I realize these are complex social problems, but God has an opinion on whether we should be addicted to drugs or not. Do not be drunk. Do not be debased of your mind. Do not have your mind altered. Do not practice pharmacia sorcery. And yet, well, you know, it's just what kids do. And then we wonder why we have these problems. Church, I'm asking you, stand. Just stand. Don't surrender an inch of ground to the enemy. We could go on all day. Socialism. And again, we have social problems, but they need biblical answers. We, we have incredible violence that's religious violence, and nobody talks about it. Why every woman on the face of the earth who loves the Lord isn't going, you know, maybe we ought to have an opinion about radical Islamic terror. Because they oppress women. They murder women. Women are chattel. It's property. And we said, oh, well, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. The gospel is an offense. And so you tell them the truth. Look, you're following a false god. Because I love you, because I care about your soul, you see, sometimes it appears that we're outmanned. It appears that we're outgunned. It appears the enemy's winning. That's not the case. That is not the case. What's the secret to our victory? Jesus is speaking here. He's saying, look, when the helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, when you and I surrender to Christ, we are literally indwelt with that third person that's there in verse 26, the he who is the Holy Spirit. You have the living God dwelling within you as a believer. And as hard as that may be for some of you to understand today, it is nonetheless the truth of Scripture. And that helper is there for a reason. And it's not some impersonal force. It's not like, you know, like the Jedi thing. It's the third person of the Trinity. It's the true and the living God. The same God that flung the stars into space dwells in you. And yet we wander around, well, you know, I don't know if I can do anything about it. I mean, you know, Governor Brown. I had somebody say that to me last week. Now, I I admit, Governor, he needs Jesus is what he needs. But the problem's not Governor Brown. The problem is the ruler of the darkness of this age has blinded the, the eyes of mankind. 
Just exactly as Ephesians chapter 2, you can read it later, first three verses, presents a threefold triunity of an enemy to you. It is the world, your own flesh, yes, you're part of the problem, and the devil. That's a powerful force, but not more powerful than the one who dwells in you. Amen? So it's not a government problem. It's a problem. Are we appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit? Am I walking in truth? Is my life so guided by the word of God that I literally possess the same power, the same ability, if you will, God working through me to will and to do his good pleasure? A lot of Christians surrender that power. Say, well, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to kind of let it go. Please don't do that. We need you to stand. We need to stand together. The Holy Spirit has a mind. As a believer, your mind is being renewed, amen? It's the story of the book of Romans, by the way. It's the story of the book of 1 Corinthians. Your mind, your attitude, your action, all of it's being changed. The first thing that happens is your mind. Most of you don't wander around just arbitrarily doing things. Well, some of you do. But for the most part, we think about something, we dwell on it, we put out a plan of action, then we do it. Can I tell you the Holy Spirit has a hand in all three of those areas of your life? The Holy Spirit has a mind, the Holy Spirit has a will. And the Holy Spirit has emotions and feelings and the Holy Spirit has power. The Holy Spirit has access to every one of those areas of your life. And if you will give the Holy Spirit first your mind so that you think correctly... The rest of it becomes easier. But if you will not surrender your mind, which is why your children's minds are being attacked, which is why television does what it does, which is why the things that we see are often the things that we begin to dwell on and think, it is the reason that the enemy wants to gain control of things that can affect your mind. If you give first your mind to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit directs your thoughts and your thoughts become God's thoughts, which turn into God's will, which turn into God's action. That's an action plan for victory. That's how it works. I want to think, I want to feel, I want to know exactly what God wants me to know and where I get that's from his word. It's so important that we do what we're doing right now and that we do it Every day, you get up in the morning, spend some time with Jesus, with the word, and say, Holy Spirit, help me understand this and help me appropriate it and apply it in my life so that I can be a believer in everything that I do. There's some simple steps for you. You gotta walk in the spirit. It's amazing to me how many Christians think that they can do things the world's way and somehow be unaffected by it. No, you're going to be affected by walking after the world's dictates. You will fulfill the lust of your flesh. Exactly what the Apostle Paul says. If you walk after the world, pretty soon you're going to sit down with the world. And before you know it, you're camping out with the world. You, you have to walk in the Spirit. You also have to worship in the Spirit. They that worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want my worship. That's my Godward living. My worship, to be aimed at the Lord, not this world. That's why Jesus said you can't have two gods. 
You can't have two masters. Wherever you put your time, your talent, and your treasure, that's your God. And so if your worship is not vertical, if your worship is horizontal, you're going to be powerless because you're going to be affected by the things of this world in such a way that you will give in to the temptations of the world instead of being empowered by the glory of heaven. And you can't share that which you do not live yourself. Look, it's really simple. People will believe how you live over what you say every single time. So when there's inconsistencies in our life, when I don't witness what my heart's conviction is by living it, people go, I don't know what that God is that you serve, but obviously he's not good enough for Tuesday because that's what I see at the bar. He's not strong enough to keep you from those things that you've already been delivered from because you're still doing them. You see, doctrine, duty, what you know and where you go need to match up. You see, as you think on these things, that's why we need to be careful not to love the world. I start loving the world, I start longing for the world. I start longing for the world, I start doing what the world wants me to do so that I can gain the world. That's why Jesus said, what profits it a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Look, this world doesn't have anything for you. It doesn't have anything for me. And there's great things in the world, don't get me wrong. If you're planning a wedding right now, get married. If you're going on vacation, go on vacation. If things are great, Praise the Lord, but I'm telling you, it gets better from here. That's why Jesus said, I've called you out of this world. One day you're going home to heaven. Amen? So here's what happens. The world hates you. That's why it hates you. You don't belong here. The world is spiritually ignorant and spiritually blind. And so when you live a life in the spirit, the world looks at you and thinks you're weird. So you're going to church again? Didn't you go last year? I mean, Easter's not for a while. I mean, come on. Kind of tone back the Jesus thing, would you? No, the world is ignorant of my Savior. It doesn't realize the place that he occupies. So I have to make sure they understand the place that Christ occupies in my life. He's everything. I can't, won't, and do not want to live one day without him. Not one moment without him. So people should know that he's first. You follow that? So when people see you, the first thing they should know about you is you are a Christian. Now it's great that you can be a Christian Dodger fan especially now that we're in first place again. Just thought I'd throw that in there. But you see, sometimes they just know we're Dodger fans, right? No, you want to tell them, look, man, I, I love the Lord and the Dodgers. But I don't love the Dodgers like I love the Lord, right? People need to know that distinction. That could, that could be... You know, pretty soon we're going to get to see LeBron in purple and gold. So, so, 
There's, there's all kinds of wonderful things here on this earth, but they should know that we love Jesus first. Amen? Throwing some love there towards LeBron. He needs that. The world's not going to be honest about their problem. We need to help them see it. Sometimes that's going to cause you some problems. People are going to get a little upset. You believe what? But live it so that they'll know it's true. And finally, and I'm going to ask you to stand. The world hates us because we love God's word. I believe it's true. I believe God's word was authored by the Holy Spirit. Men of old wrote it down. But I believe not one word in the Bible actually came from Paul or John or Matthew or Peter or Zechariah or Isaiah. Every last word was authored by the Holy Spirit himself. And it is given to us for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness so that we can live our lives in this mixed up, messed up world. It's why we have it. It's the gospel and then living for Christ. And so I want to ask you today, is there some area in your life, and you know it, that there's a little bit of compromise where you haven't stood strong as you should and consequently, people around you don't really know where you stand on some of those issues that are clear in Scripture. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, please. And, and I'm not asking for confession time because I'll tell you my hand is going up first. Is there some area of your life and you want to just pray right now, pray with me. I'll pray with you. We'll pray for each other. You can pray for me. I'll pray for you. Some area of your life where you're saying, I can do better in that area of my life. And maybe it's something you got going on, some habit. Maybe it's some thought that you have. Maybe it's someplace where you're not in alignment with God's word. If that's you, put your hand up right now. We're going to pray together. His hands up all over the sanctuary. I, I meant what I said. Mine was up first. It's time to get busy about our Father's business and we can't keep the things of this world and do that very effectively. So let's get rid of that stuff right now. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for these hands that have been raised in honesty before the King of Kings, before you, Lord of Lords, before you, the Magistrate of Heaven, who knows our thoughts before we think them. And Lord, I want you to just reach into every heart right now. Holy Spirit, come and convict of any little thing. Lord, it could be a little thing in our lives. And for these hands that are raised, Lord, we're admitting there's, there's just some stuff that we need you to clean out the corner of the closet on. And so, God, we offer it to you. We're saying take it and deal with it. We're tired of that fight because that fight isn't your fight. That, that fight is our fight. We're making it harder than it needs to be. And so, Lord, we surrender these issues in our lives where we need your touch. Give us victory, Lord. Pray that the world would know that you are who you say you are, that you're the savior of the world, you're the light of the world, that you love all men. Lord, use us for your glory. 
Put your spirit in us, Lord, that we might accomplish great things for you as we await your return in these last days. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen.